Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com This is Everything is Personal with Len May. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Woo! <laughs> All right. I thought we had like a theme song. All right. And as always, welcome my co-host, the lovely Mr. John Small. Well, thank you so much for having me today. You got to give yourself an applause. Too. Oh, yeah. Something. <laughs> That's more like magical. It is magic. <laughs> I really should. I really should have saved that for our guests because it's more appropriate. But anyway, go on. Yeah. Oh well, I'm just excited. We have a we have a very special guest today, Miss Anna, whose name rhymes with diamonds. Simons is here. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for <laughs> having me. A beautiful field of uh, hemp behind you too. So I recommend you that. Before we get started, Bob from Iowa wants to understand. What the hell is rugby and how do you even play that game? Because people <laughs> people have no clue in the United States. So is there a, a really quick sort of cliff note version of what uh, rugby is that you can explain to our audience? Sure. Some people like to say that rugby is like chess at a full sprint. Others say that it's a bunch of weirdos playing with an oddly shaped ball. And mm. they're both right. <laughs> <laughs> and you play, I take it. We... We haven't even set that up yet. You are a, a no, I didn't. Player. I didn't set. Yeah, I didn't set anything up. I was just curious. Uh, oh, you're just what, asking what, her a random question about rugby. Yeah, just a random oh, question about cool. rugby. That's it. <laughs> okay. So I didn't do any introduction. I apologize. So, uh, Anna, from what I read about you and what I know about you, we met each other through Athletes for Care. Uh, I'm good friends with Evan Britton, who's uh, and and also Riley Cote, who are founding members of that. We also shared the stage. I think we spoke in a couple of different uh, places and maybe last one was in Portland. So I love your position on cannabis, how you talk about it as an athlete, as a female athlete. I think it's extremely important to be able to talk about that. And you played a pretty rough sport, which is rugby. That was a setup for it. So I'm sure there was a lot of aches and pains and there's a lot of other meds and all that stuff. Your position on cannabis is really interesting. So I wanted to introduce you to our audience. Welcome to the show and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. This is fun. So I'm glad to be here. Um, to <laughs> getting you. to do this kind of show where it's just, you know, chatting, conversational. You are our um, first woman rugby player ever, for sure. 
Yeah. We don't have any I'm more. Very honest. We yeah. don't have any female rugby players. Are you sure? Um, not yet. I feel like <laughs> there's a line of them, but I wanted yes. to go first. It's our very first one. You're right. They're in the pipeline, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's a, a big wave coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I've been playing rugby for 20 years. I started in college, uh, switched over from being a soccer player my whole life. Once I found this sport where you were allowed to tackle people, I was like, what? Yeah. Oh, I've been missing out. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there, there are no red, there are no red cards in rugby, right? They don't give you like a red and yellow. Oh, card. there are red cards. Yeah, yeah, no, you can get a red card. <laughs> uh, you can get a yellow card and a red card, okay. but it's different for right. different reasons than right. in soccer. Play in the Women's Premier League, which is the top 10 teams in the U.S. We have a team here in Portland, Oregon. And, um, you know, coronavirus has put us on pause for now, but we're waiting to see what our reopening will look like. So my introduction to rugby, like uh, uh, when I was when I was in India, the only thing on TV was cricket and rugby. Mm-hmm. That's it. And there was like 400 channels of the same thing over and over. So I got that introduction. And when I lived in England, I had a little bit as well. And then I got fascinated by, and you can correct me if I making any mistakes, but I got fascinated by the all blacks and not just because of the game, because the ritual that they have right before the game, it's John, I don't know if you ever saw, like, it's the guys line New up. Zealand, right? I think there's a, like a, a docu-series about them too. Uh, on one of the channels. saw something on HBO about them. Yeah, maybe it was really fascinating. Or, yeah, like by the time they're done with their their ritual dance and all that stuff, you really don't want to play them because you're kind of uh, intimidated. <laughs> it's intimidating. So, so I have that right. Do you guys do you guys have your own ritual dance that you do in the women's uh, league? Yeah, we each team has their own kind of warm up chants and cheers. The haka, the um, the Maori um, dance chant that you're talking about that New Zealand does is very specific to that culture. So it, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't really be appropriate for us to do that particular right. thing, but we do have our own um, thing, you know, our, our ongoing, our own little chants and our little rituals as well, pump right. ourselves up and then hopefully look scary to the other team. What drew you to being so into that kind of contact sport? Um, you, you mentioned that soccer was, you know, something that was just not, maybe not rough enough. <laughs> Soccer was rough enough for me. Just let me, let me put it that way. But I'm curious what, what is about your, your interest in, in that kind of physical contact? where did that come from? Do you think? I grew up in the country. And so really little town in the woods in New Hampshire, like seven, 800 people. Mm. So I grew up playing in the woods, you know, playing sports with the boys, all that stuff. But I've just always liked, uh, aggressive sports. You know, I even, I did MMA for a couple of years as a side sport, wow. <laughs> which was really fun, but I came to it really late. And, you know, by then I had so many injuries and couldn't really do both, but there's just something about, I think, especially for a woman athlete being empowered to be aggressive, not just allowed, but being celebrated for the fact that, you know, if somebody wants to stop you, they have to stop you. You can run them over. You can stiff arm them. You can run around, you know, you can run around them. I mean, there's all these different options, but there isn't really that outlet for women in a lot of places Yeah. in our society, no, you know, that, that very sure. physical, <clears throat> very primal outlet. And I just find it to be really thrilling. Are there different positions that you would play where you, 
engage more contact than others. So I used to work uh, with uh, in the South African company, and one of the guys there played for South Africa, and he would always show me his YouTube video of him scoring and running through everybody and over and over. Like this was his claim to fame. But and I was always asking, like, you're kind of a little guy. Uh, and I see these humongous dudes that are like trying to get you. So are you the one that's sort of the like the, the running back kind of thing? And then you have blockers that allow you to go. I, I only have the reference of like the NFL. So I'm probably, um, you know, making all kinds of mistakes. But you can see that there's different types of people that are playing different mm-hmm. size. And are people some people want the contact, some people block and some people have the ball. I've played, you're right, there are different positions, different workloads. It's less specialized than the NFL, so everyone does more of the same general work within rugby, but but there is the specialization. And in the past, you know, as I've gotten a little older, I'm not quite as fast as I used to be. Right. I used to be pretty fast, and <laughs> I play, um, and I, I'm fairly elusive. I'm a powerful runner, but I can be elusive as well, and so I played a position where I was running the ball a lot for many years. I started, you know, I started out playing a fast person position, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, then I moved to kind of like an aggressive position where you're disrupting the other team. You know, it's called flanker. You're yes. you're stealing the ball. You're smashing people. You're you're carrying. You know, you're making them deal with you coming at them. And then so then I went to centers for a while, which is a lot of ball carrying. And then recently in the past couple of years, I moved back to flanker, like yeah. just like the old days, back to bothering people, stealing, smashing people, that's not getting under their skin. Oh, you're you know? okay. You're one of those, you're Can like you, an enforcer I'll, kind of, um, you know, that's what comes with the position. You do want to have a certain mindset for it, re- which is really just that you're going to keep coming and keep coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has your. MMA training helped you in uh, this position? Are you able to put any any sort of uh, uh, moves or anything else that you learned in MMA that you can kind of get people with in rugby? Yeah, there was definitely crossover when I was training constantly for, yeah. for both fighting and rugby. When I was practicing like wrestling and like takedowns and stuff all the time, I my tackling was... <laughs> pretty sharp. It was probably the best it's ever been. Um, you know, cause also with MMA, I, I had some female teammates that I trained with, but I was training with guys a lot too, which is always nice because it's hard, you know, it's a good challenge during that time that definitely crossed over. But I think there was also some element of, of like a, a mental strength thing right? and some weird cross cardio stuff. Like, the cardio is just different in rugby versus fighting and both of them can make you feel like you are dying. <laughs> wow. But, um, but having that to know that you've been through something, you know, when you, when you put yourself through really like intense physical challenges, you survive it, you know, you've done it. It gives you that mental confidence to be like, Oh, I've done this, you know? Oh, it's okay. Body. We feel like we're dying, but we're not truly dying keep your feet moving, keep your breath coming. <laughs> yeah. There's a big oh. mental. Oh yeah. You're absolutely right. Cause I was telling John, I think one of the, so I I'm part of this men's group. We, we do some crazy stuff every once in a while. So we do, we did this thing where we did this hike. Uh, it's pretty intense hike and we did it in total darkness and uh, it, with our shirts off, but it's LA 
And it's, it's I gonna, freezing. I thought you, I, I you were going to say fully nude, but okay. <laughs> fully nude. I meant, no, we did that in the ocean. <laughs> okay. I told you about that, right? We did the ocean jumps, the Wim Hof yeah. ocean jumps oh, wow. uh, in the wintertime. And uh, you breathe through that. I, that that's the worst for me. That's much worse than the, oh, than the height. Yeah. And, and, they, and they walk at a very intense pace. And I thought I was dying. I was going to, and, and the guy in back of me is like pushing me up the hill because I can barely make it. But then I survived. And I was like, oh. I wasn't really dying. It's your brain. Like your, your mind is yeah. telling you you're dying. But if you, if you overcome that, there's a lot more that you have. Yeah. So, How do you so push past it? I, I'm just curious because every day on my bike or in my runs, I'm at that point where I got to, I'm like, I got to stop. But I'm curious from a professional athlete, how you push past that point of um, where you want it, your body is telling you to stop and you keep going. I think it's a combination for me of carrot and stick. So there's fear. There's, you know, the fear of failing, especially if you're in front of other people. And then there's the potential rewards of succeeding, Mm -hmm. you know, and a good coaches will give you a little enough of each that to be effective and different people might be more motivated by one or the other, but (laughs) there definitely is for me, you know, some of it's pride too, you know, like, like I would tell myself, you know, when you're sucking wind and you're just like, your brain's telling you, you need to stop, quit, you know, quit, stop. And you have to tell yourself, I'm a fighter. I don't quit. Like I fight. That's what I do. I mean, and with a fight is like, you know, fight to keep going. Or like you said, Len, our bodies are capable of a lot more than we really realize. And, you know, you want to be responsible about that. You don't want to, injure yourself. Right. But right. yeah, I don't know. And I wonder if there's some, some genetic component to hard headedness as well, like to keep coming back. You well, know, I, the, the other the, thing. Yeah. I don't have it. So whatever it is, yeah. but you well, obviously have it in spades and, and Len, you clearly are sort of in between. Well, I, I, I challenge my, <laughs> I don't, I don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm in between you. Absolutely. <laughs> right. But you just watch like a Rocky movie and uh, it'll inspire you. Uh, to be able to overcome that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's about those little things. If you can say, let me just go, I'll give you what I do. And I'm not, a, not even close to being a professional athlete. But let's say I set my mind to doing 20 pull-ups. Let's just say, use an example. So what I do is I try to do it in sets of five. Like I'm going to do five. I'm going to go and I'm going to try to for five more. And I'm going to try for five more. I'll, maybe I'll do one more. So if you're riding, give yourself like, I'm just going to do this for five more minutes. Can I last five more minutes? And then you can, and then give yourself another five more minutes. So some people quit because the outcome seems so far away. But if you just kind of chunk in little, little like chunks, uh, I think it'll be much easier for you to overcome that. I agree. Yeah. I love like right now, I love doing um, Tabata workouts for, for cardio. It's an interval thing. It's just a timer that's set and you can set it for like, like my friend and I that work out, we like to do it for 20, 20 seconds on 10 off oh, cool. and it's eight rounds, but it's two exercises that alternate. And then you have however many of those sets you want. So really you can get a ton of work done in like 15, 20 minutes. Mm. And that uh, works for me, but yeah, yeah you're just go for 10, <laughs> se- you know, 20 seconds. It's bearable. It's doable. You go hard. Then you rest for what feels like two seconds. The 10 seconds right. is just gone and then you do the other thing you know then you'll go back to the thing and then you get like a minute in between once you finish that first whole round 
anyway, I just think that those kinds of mental tricks, knowing you just have to make it through this little intense part and then you get to breathe and then, you know, not get ahead of yourself and just focus on the one task at hand. Right. So I'm I'm curious, Anna, 20 years of playing professional sport, contact sports, uh, have you had any injuries like concussions or any other? Yeah, I've had, I think I've actually been pretty lucky because I've never done a knee, knock on wood. Um, and I've seen too many teammates do that. Even in high school soccer, people were tearing their knees, you know, but I have, I've torn my ankle ligaments. I've, um, separated my shoulders. I broke my leg once Mm. broken my fingers. Um, I got an avulsion fracture in my foot, which is where your ligament rips off a chunk of bone. So you like tear your own body apart kind of from trying so hard. (laughs) That's how I think of it. Yeah. So John, Um, when you're riding your bike, like uh, that's, that's your body telling you, maybe you gone too far. Don't rip your. Oh, really? I was thinking, yeah. that, I mean, all in it, that just sounds like a typical day for me. Every injury. Yeah. I mean, that's just like my day. <laughs> just terrible. falling. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. So you have, and you have different types of injuries, right? You have the ones that come from collisions. Right. Like, you know, I um, bruised a cheekbone really bad. I was lucky I didn't fracture because somebody's skull smashed into it. Jeez. Um, that type of thing or you know a million black eyes over the years but then you have like the strain injuries from like sprinting and you know and so i've had hernia surgery um i had hip surgery i had a torn labrum in my hip you know i've got you keep doing it you keep getting back and doing it yeah yeah because i feel better when i'm doing it Mm -hmm. and this is and you know i love the i love the sport and the game and um yeah realistically i I'm right around, I'm in the twilight years of my career, <laughs> but you know, uh, but it's still the last season I played, I was still competing at a high level, mm-hmm. still fun and right. still, you know, whooping on some of the youngins, which is always fun. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you gotta beat your dad at basketball before you're a man, I think. Right. Isn't that how it works for you guys? I don't know. That's yeah. You, it's well, my dad was a terrible <laughs> basketball player, but, but, <laughs> yes, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Always. Yeah. I would have <laughs> totally, but yeah, being my brother. And yeah, that, yeah, as long as you're making those Gen Zers or millennials, you know, pay, right? Well, you're probably a millennial, but the yeah, Gen Zers. There's some Gen Z, yeah, there are some 18 year olds on my team. Wow. And yeah. it's uncool. I mean, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's <laughs> very uncool. Yeah, you got to take them out. You got to be like, welcome to professional rugby. Elbow. Yeah. Like, I can still get the best of them with all of my tricks that I, you know, I've yeah. learned over the years, but like, then afterwards they bounce away on their fresh little legs after practice. And I go home to soak in the tub. So I do, and nobody sees that. Nobody sees that. They see what you're on the field when you're hitting them. And then whatever you yeah, do. But if you talk to professional athletes, it's all about their recovery and injuries. Right. So is there a culture of opioids and, and painkillers? What do they think about cannabis? Well, it's an interesting situation with rugby in the U S and with our league in particular, because we have a governing body, USA Rugby, that you know governs all rugby. They control the refs. You know you have to go through them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the top leagues, the men did this too. So the top teams sort of broke away and started their own league that's like under USA Rugby, but we govern it, but we work together. And so long story short is we have some good control over our own leagues. Essentially, the, the teams are part of the governance and we get to vote on things. Mm. USA Rugby is very conservative and I would say anti-cannabis. They are very uh, hesitant around even you know CBD, but they also don't have the ability to fully control us to the point where like we don't have drug testing. Oh, okay. you know, we don't. 
And luckily, at least for women's rugby, there isn't a culture of uh, opioid abuse or prescription painkiller abuse. Although there, you know, there are a lot of injuries and injury management. Right. We're not in a place where it's pushed on us. Mm. It's the double-edged sword, you know, it's not pushed on us the way that maybe in the NFL you hear stories about right. that, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But our medical care is a lot more DIY. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. so we're sort of like we have to hunt down the resources we need to be healthy and stay healthy. But with that, a lot of us are, you know, being more hands-on. We educate ourselves about our bodies a lot. You're also an educator too, and you're you're part of this uh, Hampton CBD company. So is this something that was a passion of yours that you try to get yourself educated or how did this come about in your life? Yeah, I was really lucky that my interest just dovetailed. I was like uh, doing some consulting for this local company. I was like, they're, they're growers. Um, right. It was when things were transitioning from the medical to the recreational legal system here in Portland right at that time. And they needed help with their licensing and paperwork and all these things that um, I'm good at, I guess. Well, you know, I started helping them and working on that. And at the same time, I was really getting educated just on my own time about as I was working with cannabis a little professionally and learning things from the growers and about the plant. I was also getting more strategic about how I used it for, for recovery and for healing. And I had started to look up the science and read, you know, all those many papers that are available in PubMed and publicly. So that was kind of what got my foot in the door. And then when East Fork recruited me, they were like, we really want to start an education program. We think you're the person to do it. And I was like, that's awesome. You know, because there's, you know, East Fork, we are CBD focused. Right. Um, both on the adult use recreational side, we still breed for different CBD ratios with THC and then with our craft hemp, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had this personal interest in CBD that was, um, you know, I'd been reading up on it and, and just trying to learn how to help myself and support my own healing. Right. Um, because, you know, we were talking about injuries. I definitely, I didn't, I didn't mention, you know, but you mentioned concussions. Right. I definitely have gotten hit in the head a lot in rugby and then also, you know, in MMA and the training, you get mm-hmm. hit in the head. Um, but the big thing is I've been in a couple car accidents over the years. Mm-hmm. And I, there was one in the fall of 2016 that left me in a pretty bad state with post-concussion syndrome. For months, I would, you know, I had headaches, constant headache, nausea. Um, what do you call the dizziness? Vertigo. Vertigo. Yeah. Vertigo oh, yeah. yeah. It was terrible. You know, and, and uh, CBD was part of recovering from that. I'd been reading on it before that, but you know, it really intensified where I was like, I have a brain injury, you know, I I can't live life like this. So all of these things kind of came together. And it's amazing to me that I have gotten to mesh them this way. Well, it's great. I I think you being out there as an an activist, who is also educated, and can speak intelligently and have these personal experiences. I think that's really helpful for the entire industry. So I commend you for doing that. You ready for the questions? We're going to go with the three questions. Real simple and easy. And uh, we'll start with the first one. Please describe your first experience with cannabis. Okay. Um, my friend and I went into a barn in her neighborhood. Again, I grew up in the woods. Um, <laughs> and I remember it was afternoon. I think we were with her older brother, who's a couple years older. And I was 13, um, eighth grade. And I think, I can't remember if we smoked a joint or a bowl. 
Um, but I just remember the sun coming through some cracks in the barn and the little moats dancing in it and feeling a new feeling, you know, I didn't get like crazy baked, but I got, I got like a little stoned and I was like, Oh, <laughs> Did you Did you like, like was it a positive thing yeah it was positive yeah we had actually and that was the friend that i you know i went through a little phase where we did that more we would smoke pot and then we would eat a bunch of snacks and um you know go on walks on the train tracks or whatever teenagers do i don't know right. you know right. we right. would watch mtv sometimes <laughs> those days. What, yeah, what is when they when they had videos still yeah, yeah back in uh -huh. those days. the gen zers don't understand that they don't yeah that's, that's why you have to tackle them <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and in my house we didn't have cable. It was too far in the woods. They won't to this day. There's no cable out there. They don't run it out. You can get satellite, but my parents wouldn't, you know. So anyway, at my friends, they yeah. had TV. So we got right. to, you know. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's the friend yeah. you want. That's the friend that's mom also buys like sweet cereals and Captain Crunch and stuff. <laughs> I remember Remember those friends? Uh, like that was me. Poppy yeah. bar thing. Right. Yeah, like yeah, I remember that was me. But my my parents always bought, so all the friends would hang in my house. Because oh, your parents bought the sweet cereals. Well, my no, my my parents decided instead of buying the premium snacks, they would buy the second uh, uh, level <laughs> snacks because my friends would eat them all. So right. instead of whatever like little Debbie snacks or whatever it was, I had I had a ton of them in my house, and I had a shelf for my friends' snacks, and then like the the pre the, like the Mars bars would be in the freezer, <laughs> and then my friends would come in and find them. Hey, you've been holding out on us. I'm like, yeah, you, you guys are not supposed to have this. Right. My mom God, said it's from have, that's a smart idea because my kids' friends come over and they eat all my stuff, and I get yeah, pissed. Telling you, I'm like, you gotta have the I? friends' stuff. Yeah. Okay. Second <laughs> question. So John and I obviously were, were music guys. And we're big into music. So I wanted to know if there's a genre of music or an album or something that is your go-to, uh, whether you kind of think about it as with cannabis, maybe it enhances or not. It, it doesn't really matter. But is there something that's like your sort of go-to in music? Ooh, I like a lot of different music over, you know, spanning different eras as well. I, you know, hmm, I listen to a lot of hip hop, but as far as like, if I'm going to feel the music and, you know, get, yeah. I can do that with cannabis is great for enhancing and letting mm -hmm. you get lost in, in music in yeah. general. But I just, I have like kind of a, a love for Jimi Hendrix that I've always had yes. since I was a kid. And I will always like, like, you know, get lost in, in Jimmy. I love so that. when you hip hop, is it newer hip hop, like Travis Scott and these or guys, or is it old school hip hop? Yeah, I'm more of an old school. I may be betraying my age, but no, you know the like 90s. The 90s. Good and you know, and then also kind of the the more like underground hip. It's nothing is anymore, but like like give know, us I'm an like, example. What will be like underground hip hop? What will be? Oh like, man, that's just what Spotify calls it. I don't even know what, <laughs> but it, it's like old too. Like you know, just like old stuff from the Bay or right. Or like, so it would be like MF Doom. Sure. Would it be like Dale yeah, Soul? Yeah. Yeah, people under the stars. Yeah, too short. Yeah, it's too short. Is that no? That too short's not um pretty. That's pretty. Like I think he had a big hit with that blow the blow the whistle. Yeah, no, that was on the radio. I mean, all of this, you know, realistically, it's. But I just you know that what you use to get psyched up before your matches. Um. Generally, yeah. Generally speaking, I like 
I have like certain songs that yeah, yeah that have like maybe an aggressive beat to them that get you like fired up. Me. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's cool. When when I go out in my matches, I, I like some Rage Against the Machine. That's that's the one that gets me going. I used to matches. love to lift to Audio Slave. That was like I oh, lift awesome. weights. That was like oh, you know, just so different. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Tom Morello has an amazing. He's got like five shows on the series uh, XM. He's got podcaster. A, yeah. And he just launched his podcast. He, he is amazing, by the way. So I'm like he's uh, a he was a dad in my school my kid's school but he was a yeah. little younger my the kid was younger so i never got to meet him i was really mad about that yeah, yeah. I, I see him in the neighborhood all he, li he lives near me somewhere so i see him in the neighborhood right, all the time right. and say hello but he had a he had a show he's got a, a folk label and he had a show at gegnus cohen i don't know if you guys mm. and it's it's a chinese restaurant in la it's a jewish chinese restaurant yeah gegnus cohen yeah, yeah. genghis cohen yeah <laughs> So, but he had a he had his own folk label, and he had these bands playing. There was probably like twenty people in there. So we got we got to meet him, hang out with him, have a picture somewhere. Pretty uh, awesome. Um, obviously, but yeah, no Chris Cornell, obviously. All right. So, what has cannabis meant in your life? Wow, cannabis has given me so much. It has been medicine first and foremost. And I mean that broadly, I mean it both in the sense of like, it has physically relieved my pain so many times and loosened my muscles and given me relief, but it's also been uh, emotional medicine at times, you know, where it's just allowed me to shift perspective in really insightful ways. It's definitely supported me playing rugby, not, you know, with the pain relief and all that, but even things like the night before is a great time to smoke because I would sleep really well. I would get a bunch of good calories in, sleep really well, have some laughs with my teammate, be able to be relaxed and sort of put aside the pregame anxiety. You know, there's all of those things. And then professionally, it's been definitely the most rewarding era of my career, you know, as, a, as an adult um, with the most opportunity, I would say, because everything is new. And so you can just kind of go out there and if you see a need for something, you can try to do it. And right. um, we're, it's all evolving and it's not perfect, but it definitely, I'm so grateful to the plant for giving me all of these different things, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's great for sure. All right. I have a bonus question. Ooh. <laughs> uh, John, John, this is John's favorite question. Well, this one might be interesting. He really hates it. Because, no, because of the way where Anna grew up. So this could be interesting. Okay, so please describe what your room looked like growing up, if you remember. Yeah, um, I had a well, like white plaster walls, but on one of them I had painted a big butterfly with like watercolors, um, and I had the skylight above that, so there was like some natural light coming down. Um, I guess the context: my parents' house is a very old house in New England. It's you know over two hundred years. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah. So like a kind of a smaller with no room. cable, got no cable. <laughs> it sounds um, gorgeous though. Two hundred year old house yeah. in the woods. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. basement, creepy basement, yeah, like real creepy down there. But um, and I had, uh, I guess, depending on what age. Yeah, I had a lot of books. I read a lot being mm -hmm. in the woods when I was younger. I would have had some stuffed animals. Uh, you know, a little desk. I must have had some posters like by junior high. I had some Nirvana posters because I was I liked Kurt Cobain a lot. Some magazines. I had all the the teenage '90s magazines. Right. 
probably it, one that it? I used to work at called Twist Magazine. Twist. Yeah. I don't know if I had Twist, but I feel like Teen I had people. like Sassy. Teen yeah, people. Yeah, had... Wasn't there? Wasn't there like YM Magazine? Tiger Beat or one of those? YM. I, I used to write that. for YM. No, that was. Yeah. Her... Yes, I used to write for YM when I was, uh, you know, because I'm a little older than you, so I was like in my twenties when <laughs> just writing terrible advice for women in YM <laughs> Magazine, ruining, <laughs> why ruining have, young girls' why lives. They... I don't understand why they had dudes writing women's advice, man. That, no, so... I, I was writing advice about dating and like guys. And like oh, that kind of stuff. okay. Yeah. So everybody, and everybody listened to your advice. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. That's Cosmo. why my life is ruined. Now yeah, I know. Sorry. What yeah, you can blame me. <laughs> John's I'm, fault. I'm staying exactly. away because I, I don't want to get on your bad side. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in the next event. You'll be like, Poof. Anna, where can people find out more about you? Where can people contact you? Social oh, media, yeah. website. Well, I'm on Instagram. You can find me. My name there is Exit Drug. Um, and so pretty accessible on there. And then our um, East Fork website is eastforkcultivars.com. And there's some more information on there about the company. And we have, you know, a about us part if you, you know, want to read my blurb. Right. <laughs> um, and then Athletes for Care also has bios. Um, athletesforcare.org and you can look at all the different athlete profiles on there as well well hopefully we can see you playing rugby and this covid thing is going to be done with and we can go and watch and yeah Yeah. thank you thank you (laughs) thank you so much for doing this really really appreciate it It was so much fun thank you great seeing you great to see you you, thank you so much all right take care bye thanks for having me down the street, you can hear a scream, hear a disgrace, as she slams the door in his trumpet face. And now he stands outside, and all the neighbors start to gossip and drool. He cries, oh girl, you must be mad. What happened to the sweet love you and me had? Against the door, he leans and starts a scene. And wow, another really interesting guest. You meet the most interesting people, Anna Simons, like diamonds. Diamonds. Right. That's easy to remember. Simon. She's badass, right? Yeah, she's badass. Um, <laughs> I got a new one today. <laughs> you hear that? I one? like that. That was a good one, right? So Perfect timing with that, too, by the way, Fred. I mean, John. Yeah, exactly. So, By the yeah. way, I just, I just watched the Howard Stern movie for the first time with my daughter. Private Parts? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good movie. Yeah, I mean, I haven't have, watched does it Does he have another? Does no, have no. Another? I mean, I didn't know if there was one that maybe I didn't know about. Yeah, that no, was... No, because she's, she's never seen it, so I was like... I don't know if it really holds up. Does There's it? a lot of things that do. Well, it's really weird because now Howard is remarried and it was all about his original marriage. And yeah. now that you know where he is in life versus watching it, it's it's kind of odd. Yeah, because it was all kind of a love story to his wife. When it, and then meanwhile, he got divorced to his wife and ended up marrying a really hot <laughs> Like a, a, year, hot a year after. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he has stayed with that hot model through all these years. So it's not sure. like he, uh, yeah. He's in a second true, relationship. True, true, true. So I went on a ski trip uh, this weekend and uh, went to Big Bear. And I went with my daughter and her friends and her friend. We went to ski. First of all, I hate the cold. So like uh, I layered up. Yeah. And went to ski and I was dying of heat. It was actually almost 60 degrees at one point is, in the afternoon. Is that the big difference between West Coast skiing and East Coast skiing? Because every time I've gone skiing in the West Coast, I'm too hot too. But I'm used to growing up on the East Coast with these icy slopes and just freezing. I hated it. Uh, but the it West is, Coast, it's like gorgeous and like powder snow. And 
Yeah. Well, it was definitely not powder snow. Oh, it was, it was slushy, was melting. Right? Yeah. yeah, it was slushy. It was melting, but I skied in a t-shirt. Oh, wow. That's cool. Was really, yeah, it was so cool, but it was an interesting experience. So my daughter asked me if she can have uh, two of her friends stay over. And uh, so the, the house was set up where uh, there's uh, two bedrooms upstairs, so a bedroom for the girls, my room, and then we there was a day bed downstairs and a couch. And the two friends that stayed over were boys. And then we had a, a hot tub outside and uh, they happened to hang out outside. And then uh, my ex reached out and she's like, you're letting them drink? Mm. I was like, well, I didn't buy alcohol for anybody. I didn't supply anything. I don't know what's going on. I'm in my room. So uh, how do you feel about that? If uh, the kids who are under 21 are consuming it's alcohol on your watch. On sorta. my watch? That's a tricky one. You know, I mean, I think I started drinking when I was like 16, maybe 15 or 16, like the first yeah. time I ever drank. And my son is now 15. And I know he hasn't drunk yet because he can't leave the house because we're in the middle of a pandemic. So you can't really so as wild oats yet, as far as I know. But I don't know how good I would feel at a certain age. You know, I think it's okay for them to drink. And I'd almost rather me overseeing it and, you know, than, than them doing it and running off and getting like, crazy drunk and but at the same time i don't know how the other parents would feel about it i'd have to i'd have to think about that one i'm not not totally sure i'm not yeah I, i'm not sure comfortable either. and the, and the same with marijuana like uh you know i've got a lot of marijuana in my house if and my son's yeah. a musician and he should he get curious it's definitely around even though we try to hide it i would like to talk to him about it first and maybe even smoke with him first yeah. <laughs> you know? well i I've, I've had those conversations so yeah. uh, but you're right about how do the other parents feel right i don't want to but, you know, they're 16, 17, that kind of age. Yeah. So they, I want to be the cool me, dad. And, and at the same time, I, yeah. And if the parents I, are like, that's fine, as long as it's under control. Well, I don't want to be the cool dad, but I don't, my, my rule is this. I don't want anybody to drink and drive. That's number one. Yeah, rule. well, that's huge. I also don't want to be the person that's like sitting there with the kids doing shots and hanging out. But what they do, because I remember myself at 16, 17, find ways to drink if I wanted to drink. And if it's, yeah. if it's under my roof, it's under my roof. It is what it is. I think that it's better supervised under an adult roof yep. because they're not going to go out of control. I'm not going to find them laying in the, in the hot tub, you know, puking. Oh, I didn't see any of that. That's a tough, that's a tough one. And we're getting to that age now. We, the, the, the parents of teenagers and, you know, knowing my kids, they will never drink around me because they're sneaky. So I don't even know if I ever have to worry about this. And we just built a, a back house for my son where he rehearses his quote unquote rehearses drums, but like it's a completely separate unit from our house and Lord knows what's going to go down in that. Well, <laughs> you'll, you'll find a bong soon. There, yeah, there right, now, yeah, right now. Right now. Oh, dad, still it's very a innocent. lamp. It's a lamp. No, I just, yeah. It's okay. all very innocent right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just hope they're responsible and you're right about drinking and driving and about all that stuff. And, you know, we didn't have Uber and that kind of thing when we were, we were kids. So yeah. You know, thank goodness for that. I did, I did so many stupid things. That's my main thing because I was just talking to my best friend in New York. And I'm like, dude, think about all the stupid things. we how, Think about I had this. OK, I had this thing where I always like we would drink and then we would drive, which is the worst thing that you can yeah. do. But I didn't drive. I gave my keys to my friend but you who know. I thought was a better drunk driver than oh, I am oh, because I didn't trust myself. You're a better wasn't, drunk he, was, he wasn't a designated driver. Oh, he also That's drank he yeah. much better. 
he than than me is what I thought in my hazy brain. So I would say, uh, no, here are my keys. You drive my car. <laughs> I was like, well, you're drinking too. But you can That's handle crazy. it better. Yeah, I am. Um, I mean, I used to like drag race to school, you know, in the mornings. I don't, I mean, the fact that my parents like let me out of the house. I did so many things on my own when I was a kid. It's just different times. I feel like, it like I, we don't, we don't let our kids have that kind of freedom. At least I'm not going to let my kids have that kind of freedom. Yeah. Um, it was, so talk, to me, about Woody, talk to me about Woody Allen. All right. So there's, so Allen versus Farrow. There, there's a few documentaries that are on right now that we're interested in talking about. The first one on HBO, Allen versus Farrow. So far, we've only watched the first two episodes, right? Because um, yeah. I don't have, I don't on HBO's mailing list and I'm pretty pissed about that. So if you're listening from HBO, I'd like to <laughs> like to have a word yes. with you about that. Um, it's actually very upsetting to me because it's like Michael Jackson. Growing up, I was a huge Woody Allen fan, just like I was yeah. a huge Michael Jackson. I'm like, who's going to be the next guy? Like, is it going to be freaking Steve Martin? Like, I don't, all these people that I like really liked a lot when I was a kid, you know, are now like these fallen angels to me, fallen, not angels, fallen icons to me, because I believe uh, Dylan Farrow's story. I think it's very credible and I think it's pretty creepy. And again, does it negate everything that Woody Allen ever did, like all his great movies? No, he made fantastic movies. Annie Hall is like one of the great movies. Um, oh, but it does make, but yeah, and like, amazing. but, but that movie, um, with Muriel Hemingway, which I hadn't seen in a long time, was that Man um, Manhattan story? Um, the one they show in the movie, in the documentary where he's dating a 17 year old, you know, in yeah. the context of what we now know about Woody Allen, at least according to this documentary, that really like, it's like, how did well, that what slip is, past like everybody's radar? It's crazy. So for those, for those who don't know and haven't yeah. seen it, the accusation is that he was being inappropriate with his young daughter, right? Inappropriate with his young that. daughter and that he dated his older adopted daughter when she was still in high Senior. school. Well, we know that that's that a fact. That we've always known. That's a fact. That, that we, we didn't know. know that there were, I don't think, I think there's been some revelations like in this documentary, like the fact that she found those nude pictures of her, that she had posed by her phone. Yep. Mia Farrow yep. found these nude pictures of Sun Yi uh, when, when she was just in high school in Woody Allen's yep. house. So that we didn't know. And the other thing that apparently is a big revelation in this is that those there's videos that Mia Farrow took of Dylan Farrow, who's this young girl. After, you know, she she wanted her to talk about what happened to her with her dad. Right. And so she does these like kind of confessional videos that are very right. like compelling and really upsetting. Uh, this is the biological daughter. The biological right. daughter. This is actually right. his daughter who he had some sort of strange obsession with. And right. uh, she. And he would sleep with her just with. They have like eight kids. Right. And he yeah. would choose her to sleep with in his underwear in a certain position where he would hug her and hold her really close and have his legs over her That's a, from this her is on the account, right? And the other and yeah, thing that they she... say, that there's a moment where there was like when, when everybody was out of the house and the babysitters couldn't find Dylan for like 20 minutes, this unaccounted for 20 minutes where she disappeared with Woody Allen and she says that they went up to the attic and mm -hmm. he was inappropriate with her. And it's interesting because what you don't hear is that there's people in that family that don't agree with this story, right. mainly this kid, Moses Farrow, who's a, another adopted kid. Right. And he's a psych mm -hmm. child psychologist, uh, family therapist now, and he does not believe his sister's story and thinks that it's it's actually that the villain here is Mia Farrow. So right. in that way, the documentary is not very balanced because it's really almost like made by the Farrow family. Um mm -hmm. Which is fair enough. I mean, they're telling their story, but you know, you don't hear the other side as much. At least so far, so far you don't yeah. hear the other side. Well, that's that's the whole thing. And yeah. we, 
obviously it's an, I'm a father of a daughter. So yeah. I, I understand like sleeping in my underwear, wrapping yourself all around your daughter. It may be weird. However, I remember days where, you know, my daughter slept with me and I was sleeping in my underwear yeah. and she was sleeping in her bed and there was nothing right. weird at all. It's just a normal father. Yeah, that part you know. didn't creep me out as much as like her accounts of him taking her up to the attic and doing yes and doing things that were inappropriate and her like basically looking at the train set so that she didn't ha so she could focus on something else now moses says i went and read an account of moses says there was never a train set up there there's nothing you know none of that story is true and he also makes the argument that serial predators like that it's never like a one-time thing yeah. and the fact that there's been no other evidence of woody allen doing that with other girls is very strong evidence that it's not true. Like it's not, it's not usually like an yeah. isolated. So that's what they say on the other side. I personally buy her. It's very hard to deny her story. And right. it's really sad. The whole thing is just like, it's depressing. I don't even know why I watch it because I really like Woody Allen. <laughs> I love Woody Allen. I yeah. love, I, I can't like for years and years and years, like yeah. from bananas for all sleepers, you name it. I yeah. can't wait because he would put out a movie just about every year. Oh yeah. Uh, give or take. I love this. I couldn't, love his movies right and, i mean he was and, like i worship his, his sense of humor like i just everything about him his stand-up was amazing yep um the whole neurotic jew from new yeah, york yeah it was like a thing i mean my whole personality is i think a lot of jews personalities kind of model a little bit on that kind of neuroses making that yeah. funny and cool it's like I the mean, larry david kind of yeah thing. larry david kind of took it to a different level and but like it yeah. was always woody allen it was always the, the hypochondria and the yeah so to me growing up he was like a role model in a weird way and it's just, again, and so was, for me, Michael Jackson, in a different way, right. was a role model. It's just like, oh, my God, another freaking creep that I loved. Do you think Woody's canceled? Do you think this, after this came out, do you think he's going to make movies again? I mean, I can't imagine any actors wanting to work with him anymore. I mean, it used to be a thing that to be in a Woody Allen movie was like the biggest honor of your acting right. career. And he got incredible actors, especially later in his life, you know, like Scarlett mm -hmm. Johansson type of yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. And now I, don't, I can't imagine people like that. Yeah, mid Any young actor, especially in this culture of like very hypersensitivity about Me Too and stuff like that. I think that I can't imagine I, that he's going to find actors. I mean, maybe he'll find like European actors to be in his movies. I don't know. Well, I just can't. Polanski imagine. continued. Didn't Polanski continue to make movies? Very true. Yeah. I don't know. It's almost different. Polanski. Is it because it's now? Is it Maybe it's because it's, it's now, with, it's higher, with, with it's because of the Me Too stuff. thing. The Polanski thing came out earlier. Polanski was pretty much banned, though. I mean, he was pretty much banned from Hollywood well, for he lived, most of his he career. Was, yeah. he, he was. He lived in Poland. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, Woody Allen, on, on the other hand, lived this very charmed life up until maybe like a year ago. Um, you know, I mean, I knew about all these things, but I didn't really know about them. And I think because I, I chose not to really know too much about him because it was just like oh man not woody allen and then well, what did you know like you knew i about knew the well i mean i only knew i only knew from what i only knew since when dylan and ronan farrow started writing about it and talking oh, right. about it. so then i was right. became aware of it but it wasn't until the documentary came out that i really knew the full story you know because i mean i don't keep track of everybody's like creepy but past. didn't you think that the sun yi thing was weird like oh i always thought that was really weird yeah I didn't like that at all. Everybody knew that. Yeah, this it's is, true. This is why, do we, why do we allow him? I mean, we're that's sort of what I'm as saying. complicit. I don't know. Like, and it's, I mean, I think that's the thing that a lot of people are looking at. Like, it's really hard when you have these people that you worship 
in your life that they do these bad things, you'll really explain it away. And I think well, Mia is it a bad thing? saying that. Is like, it a bad thing? Is it a bad thing? Because if she's a consenting adult and she's an adopted daughter of Mia Farrow and he happened to fall in love with her and she's an adult, is that wrong? Morally, I mean, wrong maybe for you and me as far as our moral values go. But as, as far really as wrong? my moral values go, it, it definitely crosses a line. I mean, it, technically, is it illegal? I guess it isn't. It depends on when they... No had consensual sex like was she under 18 they seem to imply that it might that she might have been but there's no evidence and so i guess legally it's okay but like everything about my moral compass says that that's really absolutely manipulative and a bad not a i I feel the same way and we still continue to watch his movies and we still always continue although now i'll have a little bit of a I don't think I'll be as excited. But, you know, it's just like Michael Jackson. I watch his movies a lot. I don't need to keep watching his movies. You know, it's too bad. I won't really be able to share them with my son maybe in the way that I would have had this. none of this happened, you know. But we, we talked about this in a previous show, and this is a perfect example. Can you separate the person and your and morals from the work, from the art? Can it's, we do that? Well, we're, yeah. I mean, I think we need to. I think we can. Do we? Mm-hmm. I think everybody has a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, we probably don't know a lot about, you know, half the rappers that we love their music and we're about to talk right. about Biggie. You know, we might not know that they have some dark past because it didn't come out publicly. You know, so hey, like, you listen, you listen to R. Kelly. You didn't mind that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was one of my favorites. <laughs> but, you know, like you find out these things later and you're like, oh, but I, I think, you know, I, I would imagine like some of the artists we love and look at, you know, their art, you know, who knows like what they were like in their personal Dude, life. Elvis, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis yeah, married like a I mean, 12-year-old. I mean, Elvis was a hero to most. <laughs> uh, I, I know the public enemy said he was a racist. But he married he married a, a teenager, Priscilla. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, I think, married like a, a 14-year-old, if I'm not mistaken. I, know. I mean, this is- Yeah, these guys the, are creepy. Yeah, I think- Maybe you do but, have to separate it, but it, at this time in his, in our history, it's really hard because people's public lives are so front and center. I mean, even like I was watching the Martin Luther King documentary recently. On, right. There you go. That's a good example. That's a good example. Like, he's another one of my idols. Now, he ran around, you know, according to this documentary in the FBI files with a lot of prostitutes. I've always known that. I mean, that's been kind of a known thing. Uh, Sam Cooke as well. Sam Cooke did too, right? Yeah. You know, it still doesn't to me like Michael Martin Luther King is still one of the great Americans. So I don't know. And but, you know, what he did, I, maybe that's my moral compass. Like, that's not as bad as sleeping with a kid. Like if, if Michael Jackson, if, if if Martin Luther King had been caught having sex with children, that might be a little bit of a different. Um, so my, Michael Jackson's Mount Rushmore. That is that is the, the worst. Ultimate. That's well, the but worst. That might, no, actually, Woody Allen's pretty bad because not only is it a kid, but it's your own kid. That's incest. That's that's I, really bad. I, well, I mean, if whatever happened, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Well, but to me, I agree with you that what taking advantage of a my, a child mm-hmm. is number one. That's up there the beyond anything else. Yep. And then you have people who are racist or anti-Semitic uh, who did other things, but then they create art. Like yeah. there's artists who are like, oh, I love so this. Is guy. there a level of like your transgression versus whether I can still like your art? Because I'm not going to be a total I hypocrite. I mean, I've done bad things in my life. Right. You know, I just, but I have not slept with children. So, you know, I, um, so I, yeah, <laughs> I don't good. know. You're right. I just know you can only do, you know, what you are at that moment. So right now at this moment, I don't feel like watching a Woody Allen movie. Like, right. I'm not that's that your, into that's it. your reaction. And, and maybe yeah. our audience can kind of comment on this. So this was my rule and this was a lesson that I got because I went to see Roger Waters. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last, uh, I talked about this before. I went to see Roger Waters 
the last concert was like at the Staples Center. I think it was Staples Center. And then I posted it, uh, you know, online and I got all these people like they got mad at me. Oh, oh my like, God. Don't support him. He's a don't support. Crazy. He's an anti-Semite. Oh, he's this, he's like that. A, I'm like, yeah. I fucking love, love, love Pink Floyd. Like you don't understand. I don't love his politics. And I feel that nobody should take the stage and give him that platform and talk about their own politics. Anybody across the board, mm-hmm. they just shouldn't. I'm there to listen to your music. So I kind of made a decision for myself that I will still listen to Pink Floyd. I love Pink Floyd, whatever the music is, but I'll probably not go to a concert and support it. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to watch YouTube videos. It doesn't mean I'm not going to listen to music. So yeah. I'm still paying for it in some way. So I don't know. It's like a stupid rule. So I may not go to the movie theater and pay for Woody Allen right. movie, but if it comes on an HBO, you're still going to watch it. And yeah, they just watch it. I don't know. I mean, I do think he, I think it's a really interesting issue. Can you separate the art from the person? I think each, everybody has to make their own decision. I don't think there's anything wrong with you for wanting to watch a Woody Allen movie. I think it's your own, you didn't do any of these things, right. but you have to ask yourself, like, do you want to support that person financially, right. mentally, morally? So right now it's too soon. Maybe yeah. in five years, I'll be like, you know what? He's a creep, but he'd make good movies. At least it's like yeah. the Michael Jackson thing where I'm always like, well, did he make that record after? Like anything before <laughs> Thriller, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, when, when he still was black with uh, yeah. before he started turning white with a fake nose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. Which Maybe the Woody Allen was like, everything before Annie Hall was fine or Annie yeah. Hall was the last good movie. But yeah, but it was interesting that, that that person did that research and all the movies that Woody Allen did like pretty much were all about older men with younger girls. Like that was like his obsession of a topic and every single yeah. movie deals with that. Even the last one, what was it, Jade? Yeah, it was great, man. Dice was in that movie. Okay. Fantastic. Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah. And then uh, right before that was Midnight in Paris. That was different too. Oh yeah, the one with uh, Kate but, Winslet where she plays yeah, that. Yeah, that exactly. was really, really good. Um, great movie. Yeah, By the no, way, what shirt, are, what shirt are you wearing great today? movies. Today I'm wearing, I don't even know, somebody got me this. It says, write better rhymes. I and agree with that, by the way. I write, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a, somebody got me this for my birthday and I like it. It's like a write better rhymes. Yeah. It's just a message to people. What about you? I have my Metallica nice. Injustice for All shirt. Sorry, my dog just fell off my lap. Oh, you're poor. If anybody, I got up and I'm like, I forgot I had my dog I didn't even know lap. you had a dog there. That was very stealth. Your yeah, dog is yeah, just, oh, your dog is cute. Yeah. But the, so there's another but, documentary we have to talk about. Yes, the one we were really planning on talking about, which yes. was uh, Biggie. Yes. Um, that one is on, uh, which one is that? Netflix. Netflix, yeah. Yeah. And that was, well, I'm really curious to hear what you thought about that. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've seen some of these biopics of Biggie and they always focus yeah. so much on the rivalry with Tupac. And this was really yeah. actually not about that at all, which I was kind of relieved. No. It was, it was about, um, really about like, his family and his upbringing in Brooklyn and um, kind of like it was in that way, it was really refreshing. And I felt like I got to know a side of him that I didn't know, like, like Biggie listened to country music to help him go to sleep country at night. Western, yeah. Country yeah. Western music. Yeah. yeah. What the hell? We don't even like country. Western. Now, now I got, I got much respect for country between Tommy and Biggie, like give, getting know. us into country music. I think I like, we'll country do a country music. show next. Let's, we let's really go got to have somebody country. on. Uh, so Biggie liked country music. He, I mean, the fact that his um, one of his mentors was like a jazz musician in yep. the neighborhood, that was cool because it kind of showed you. That where makes he, a lot of sense. Yeah, where he got way. that flow. 
I saw a, another documentary. I maybe I actually shared it with you. And they, they break down the flow of different rappers, mm-hmm. basically how they do how they do their flow. Yep. What makes them so interesting and special. I've seen and that. Biggie had this really, really interesting flow. And it was like a jazz flow because in the verse, he could start a new word without finishing that sentence that's going into the next right. line. Double it was, rhymes it, and, yeah, and, and sentences. Exactly. Yeah. Such an interesting flow. And like having that jazz musician, I think, makes a lot of sense because yep. it, there is a sort of jazz feel to it. But that. they were saying, like, I think it was maybe Diddy. Oh, by the way, they kept calling him Puffy, which was funny because that was really, he doesn't really go by <laughs> Puffy anymore. But anyway. Well, AKA. They were saying AKA. Yeah, AKA, AKA. Puffy. <laughs> But Puffy, I think, said that, you know, it was interesting because when Biggie came out, nobody like a lot of times you can hear a rapper and you'd be like, oh, he's really influenced by such and such and such and such. But really, nobody was doing that, that style. Like he was. Well, you remember his friends said, uh, sorry to interrupt, I just stepped on what you were saying, but I just the thought entered. They were saying that they had who was their greatest rapper, who was their mentor. And and the one guy said, for me, it was uh, Rakim. For the other guy, it was uh, it was KRS-One. And for Biggie. It was Big Daddy Kane. Oh, that was interesting. I, don't, I think I missed that. That's interesting that Big Daddy Kane was his. his and he, Yeah, because I could not, I do not hear any no, Big Daddy maybe Kane. maybe just liked Big Daddy Kane. But I mean, he didn't have that kind of flow at all. Not but at anyway, all. I mean, he brought a whole different new. So that was kind of cool. He was a, really a pioneer and he didn't even know it. It's like he was just doing this thing and it wasn't really based on anybody. He wasn't really imitating anybody. That was really cool. I, I liked it a lot. I, the stuff in Jamaica. Like, I loved his mom. His mom's I incredible. Thought- yeah. Violet, Violet, yeah. Violet, 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 Violet. She, what an amazing like immigrant story, like, you know, and she's so sweet and he was obviously so close to his mom. I yeah. mean, it's really heartbreaking. You don't really realize until when they said that he died at 24, I was like, holy crap, 24. Yeah. That is yeah. so young. I mean, he only had two records, really two full albums. Yeah. He had so much more music to make, and he probably would have. I, I love that he was like really into R and B singing, and he actually was a really very good singer. But he yeah, actually kind yeah. of sort of thought him he was going to be a singer, and then he became a rapper. That was cool. I bet he would have done like an R and B record eventually. I agree. You know, yeah, with Faith I, Evans. I think there's a couple of things. First of all, I think he lived a very full life for 24. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, coming off the block from the street to private jets, money, all that other stuff. So he had an interesting life. Plus he left a tremendous legacy and two kids. So that's, uh, he definitely, I think it's three kids. Is it three kids? Cause he's got first kid is from, um, his first wife. And then he had two with, yeah. with Faith Evans, one of whom, okay. Hopefully we can have on the show. Good old yeah. CJ Wallace. Who's in the cannabis industry now. Yeah. A young, a young biggie. I've talked hmm, to him before. That's, that's uh, three. Okay. So yeah, there was a couple of things in there that really struck me as being interesting. Number one, you know, him going to Catholic school, him mm-hmm. having not being able to get off the stoop, like his mom really looked out for him. Yep. And then at some point, it's who you hang out with. It's really, really interesting. Mm. There was that one kid he was hanging out with. Ollie. And then, yeah, Ollie, yeah, yeah. who actually got, got killed yeah. uh, at some point. The interesting thing about that is, if you're not watching because you're not watching your kids, uh, who they hang out with can really influence them in, in interesting ways. And by him hanging out in that corner, he was able to do two things. Number one, would he be this rapper that he became if he didn't have the experience of hanging on the corner and slinging crack and all the other right. stuff? If he was on a stoop where his mom said, 
from nine to five, would he still have that? Yeah, because you, you wonder. Have to reach it's, that experience. Right? I know. I've wondered that a lot about about hip hop and like if that none of those bad things had happened to those guys, you know, would they have been able to rap about it? It's like it's a sort of catch twenty two. Like nobody wants to wish that upon themselves, right. but yet it made them so real and it, it, it colored their experience so much. Yeah, I mean, he really had like a rough life. Like he was definitely like a real a real hustler. Uh, yeah. Although compared to Ollie, it, apparently they were kind of soft hustlers compared to the, what the guys were doing in Brownsville. That was, yeah. I love they would be like, that was hood. <laughs> well, that would, that, that's, yeah, right. isn't that where Tyson's from? That, yeah, really, Brownsville, really, Brown, Brown, Brownsville. That's really Brownsville. hood. Selling drugs doesn't make you like real hood. It's how you engage in that sale of drugs. So by that guy, Ali, having the real drug dealer behind him, who was his, uh, was God. his un- uncle. I God, yeah, it was his uncle. I God, yeah. who ended up killing him. Yeah, that was which crazy. Is, that's real slinging. Yeah. But yeah, I, I found it very endearing. Mm-hmm. I, it connected me to Biggie in a very human way. Yeah. I thought he was like a big baby and he had a baby face. And, he was, and I love uh, how his dad said, his friend said, you know, he was Christopher Wallace and he was Biggie. Like there was definitely a character he was playing when he was Biggie. By the way, he's notorious B.I.G. And, and uh, I think there was oh, a Wasn't guy. that funny, that part when it, they said Biggie Smalls and they showed the clip <laughs> of a white guy no, getting out guy. of like a car and it was Biggie Smalls with yeah. a Z? He's like, you can't say you that can't because say he's going to sue me. I know. I didn't. I had no idea that he. I had no idea either. Called Biggie Smalls. Biggie, so he really. White? So that's why it was notorious B.I.G. He had to change yeah. it. He changed a big that was I learned a lot. I mean, it was definitely an hour. I could have, like, my son and I were, I watched it with my son. He was like, I wanted to learn more about um, Ready to Die. Like, I, yeah. I felt like there wasn't enough about the records and, and making of the records and stuff. And I, that, that wasn't, I don't think that was the, that was the intent of this documentary. No. I think humanized uh, Biggie for you to connect to Christopher Wallace, understand what he came uh, from and how he ended up. I mean, that record is just such a tremendous story and i love what diddy said or brother love or whatever he calls himself now i love that he said that his whole goal was to make cinematic records mm-hmm. like take cinema and put on vinyl because i really felt that when you listen to ready to die you really feel like there is a story it's yeah. a it's a bookend story from beginning to end and if, and if you really l- read the lyrics man takes his own life at the end Mm. which is really, really, really uh, profound and interesting and, and sad. Yeah, the way. suicidal. Um, that's a great rap, by the way, that, that suicidal. And really think intense. about it this way, from party and bullshit and all that other stuff, to yeah. go to that, even yeah. though I love that record, it's like, wow, at 20-something, to yeah. be that profound, have that much depth and be able to tell that kind of story, do you have enough imagination to do it or do you have to live some of that on that corner to be able to- Yeah, you're right. Wait? way i think it, it definitely you can't talk about biggie without talking about where he came from and and his background and yeah i don't know if he if he if he would have just been that catholic school kid that ended up you know just ended up kind of like not doing all that stuff would he have been that you know might have been another yeah. great man in a different way but he wouldn't have been a rapper like the way he was if you have raw talent in order to have the life experience that can mold you into being great like utilizing that correctly, that can create uh, greatness for you. Yep. And the last thing that I really want to say about that, uh, unless you want to uh, continue this, is the, the whole junior mafia thing. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. First of all, just talking about junior, who's junior mafia? It's all you guys. It's all your friends. And he I wrote know. songs for all of them. And he tried to make them all 
famous and all rich. Them. I know. He was amazing. I know. And you know who got rich of all that? Puff Diddy. Daddy. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, Diddy. Puffy, Diddy. Apparently, Diddy um, produced that documentary. So uh, he, he was definitely, um, <laughs> you know, well, well, you know, it, it was definitely a very positive portrayal of of Puff Daddy. I mean, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know enough about Puff Daddy. I know that he's not always so well liked in the industry. It's kind of been controlling of, of Biggie's image and stuff. But honestly, I thought I, if that's true, then I thought we got a really good taste of who Biggie was from this. Like I really did appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. I, I got that too. And in, in that other show that we watched with, uh, man, I oh, the, the, the one about the, um, the gangsters. Yeah. 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 They, they talk about Diddy in a, in a different way. Yeah, on that one, and the experience <laughs> that they had with the they didn't uh, like him with two, yeah, with Tupac and the the beatdown and the retaliation, all that stuff. I found that really interesting. Yeah, so, I mean the Tupac thing, that was the one part when they um they show the interview and he said I didn't mm-hmm. have anything to do with it. It was very unconvincing. <laughs> I gotta say, I don't know enough about this story. I don't want to get into the whole Tupac versus Biggie. Um, you you Biggie. so your opinion just on on record. Your opinion is that you feel that Biggie. Did have something. I, he might have elevator. known about it. I don't think Biggie was a violent in that way. It was like a kind of. I don't get that impression. But there's a lot of evidence. You know what? I shouldn't even talk about this on the record because I don't really know enough about the story. Um, there is evidence. There is evidence. There is evidence. Maybe that. Stuff. Maybe you know it was part of the whole bad boy entertainment thing. But there was a lot of stuff. I don't think he was directly involved in it. No. But I did. No. I did. He know about it? Like I have a feeling he kind of did. Like, I don't think I, it was just I think a random thing. Looking in his eyes. I felt that he truly had love for Tupac. Yeah. And he truly was disappointed when Tupac accused him of uh, yeah, having something really to do with that. Him. It seemed real. To they me. had so much in common. Yeah. They really, I mean, Tupac's life is crazy too, uh, background. So yeah. that was really the whole, that whole, I'm glad with it. But you know, we don't need, that's a whole separate episode, the yeah. Tupac Biggie. Yeah, I don't know. There was just a that. scene where he's interviewed in the radio station. He's like, I yeah. didn't know anything about that. And it was just the way he said it was so unconvincing. But it might have just been that he was, you know, broadside or whatever. But yeah. um, and I'm not going to base my opinion based on like an interview footage from, you know, whatever. It's just it was just funny that that was when they showed that I was like, oh, well, uh, I highly recommend the doc. I thought it was a really, really so well good. Done. I've never seen a lot of that insight in Jamaica and all that stuff. And growing up, it really humanized. Uh, oh, yeah. And Jamaica, I mean, that that's what's fascinating is that um, Biggie, you know, one of the things his son told me is that that's where Biggie really learned about cannabis, too. I mean, of course, they didn't really get into that in this particular documentary, but like that's where he learned about lamb's bread, which is like his yeah. favorite, was his favorite strain. And he mentions yeah. the lamb's bread. In fact, well, later I'm going to play you a clip where he mentions lamb's bread, but uh, that's where he learned about cannabis, which they didn't get into, but that's really, I mean, because he was a big cannabis connoisseur, if you yeah. will. Yes. Yeah. He loved the Cali Kush too. Man. Yeah. Anytime Maybe that's why Cali. he kept wanting to go back to Cali. That was interesting that he went to Cali knowing that he had a target on his back. I mean, I guess well, he didn't take it seriously. We should definitely have an episode where we talk about that because there is evidence, but there is a little bit more to flesh out there. I don't think that it was a biggie specific thing, but I do think it was a bad boy specific thing. Hmm. Uh, so he was going without the consideration that there is a target, not necessarily on his back specifically, but on bad boy, on bad boys back. And he's a representative of that. So mm. I don't think he was brash and going. I think he was going with a, without full knowledge, I think. Right. Wow. 
well, whatever the situation, it's absolutely horrible that he went so young. But at least we are left with this incredible legacy of music. I so mean, I'm, I'm, I love inc- the guy. incredible legacy of music, uh, if not the greatest. I, I mean, by f- absolutely top five, maybe right, top definitely three. top five. And I think Ball people time. they really make the point that like people forget like East Coast had really fallen off, right? And Biggie brought it back in such a big way. It changed everything. I mean, I don't even remember who the rappers were coming out of the East Coast before, you know, right? It's sort of during the chronic era, but yeah. it wasn't that great. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I mean, yeah. Big L, I guess, Pun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We have another show about all that. Yeah. But, but uh, he, yeah, he came out uh, and then, and then he brought all these other people up with him. If you think about all the junior, they didn't see, I didn't see Mace at all. I don't even know no, what they happened. never talked. Mace got religious. I know that that happened. Yeah. yeah. But he was a big yeah, part a of the part. Mafia. They didn't really talk too much about the Junior Mafia or about Bad Boy. You know, I mean, one of the things is when Puff Daddy was first signing Biggie, he only had one other artist. He only had um, Craig Mack in the early yeah. days. So right. Biggie was one of his first acts, you know, right. um, which is incredible. And, and and you have to give Puff Daddy credit. He obviously kept Biggie. Well, at least the way the documentary tells the story, Biggie was about to go to North Carolina, become a drug dealer. And then Puff Daddy was like... <laughs> Don't do what my he dad did. Yes. He saved everything. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know. You know, again, it's coming through Puff Daddy's story. I, I thought it was a great story. I, I was totally riveted, and I just could have watched it. I could. I just wanted to listen to Biggie music afterwards, which is probably the whole point of the thing. I just wanted to go and listen to his records after. Yeah. Well, do Should you we have do? a? Have yeah. You well, heard? actually, I have a "Have You Heard" that is connected to Biggie. Right. <laughs> I have a. Should I do mine first because mine's connected to to Biggie and yeah. Do yours honestly, first. My, mine is not connected. Honestly, to yours is probably you've probably heard this, but I don't care because I want to play it for our listeners anyway because it's so. Different. Well, you probably heard mine too. And I, I don't care, and I have a story behind it. Too, okay, so, so I'm gonna play you this clip, sometimes not as well known, of Biggie versus Tupac in a freestyle battle that was just taken from a show. The freestyle battle they had in the dock. Uh, was the one with Supreme that he does. Yeah, incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I urge everybody to go on YouTube and watch that because- the 17-year-old Biggie or whatever, 18-year-old, yeah. Whatever. Well, that that guy Supreme was like the man. That guy was- Was that the like, same guy who was the drug from- No, that was Supreme Team. There was some. There was another, but he no, was yeah, the rapper was, of the neighborhood, right? He was yeah, like the it was, they called him Preem. He was called Supreme. He was the rapper of the neighborhood. And Biggie went to his neighborhood- Right, and took him on. And took him on and like destroyed him. Just destroyed. It was it wasn't even funny. And that guy was dancing and all that stuff. But he was he was the man. Can you imagine if you were just walking by? We're Brooklyn, we're Brooklyn, we're Brooklyn, we're Brooklyn. We gonna go like this and tell you ready, check it. I got seven back elevens, about eight, thirty-eights, nine, nines, ten, Mac tens. The shit's never end. You can't touch my riches, even if you had MC Hammer and them three fifty-seven bitches. Everybody hit the D-E-C-K. My 
slow flows remarkable. Peace to Mateo. Now we smoke weed like Tony Montana sniff the yayo. That's crazy blunts. Bad hells, my voice excels from the avenue to tail cells. Oh my god, I'm chopping shit like a pigeon. I hope you're listening. Smacking babies at their christening. I won't put on Tupac because this, this is the biggest I, I show. mean, I mean, like... It's like, I can listen, I, I get the chills listening to that. It's me too. so good. Me too. It's, it's so, so good. good and raw, and it's like, it, I, it's freestyle too. I mean, I'm sure he had some of that written, but I mean, come on, that was just like... It's brutal. just the flow, like, listen... It's crazy. How he goes to Tony Montana, like, yeah. Tony, the, the bridge... My that, slow I, flows, and he starts, starts slowing down. Right. Yeah. How I, do you, like, this is, it's so unique and so, uh, I yeah. I get the chills. I know. I got the chills yeah. listening to it. All right. So that was my chills. I, I, mine is nowhere near. Uh, <laughs> That's but like, I get, yeah, so like I got a story. So I got a story. I'm going to play this song. Okay. And uh, I get, I have Spotify in the car. So I'm driving with uh, the teenagers or 16, 17. And the song comes on. I love this song. Mm-hmm. And, and they go back. And my, my daughter, Sasha, goes back. And the kids are like, oh, man, your dad, your dad listens to this. It's pretty cool. I didn't know that the kids are into like, that. Song. They were, yeah, nice. Look at you. You're cool. They're like, they're like, you're I'm hip. like, all right, I'll listen to that. You're like, did but you know I have song, a podcast? <laughs> this song me? was super inspirational to me. I love the lyrics because I felt there was there was a time when we were, you know, doing starting our business and we were looking for money. It was it was tough, man. Like I, I was trying to do odd jobs for the time being, but uh, to go all in. And this song really connected to me. Oh, great. Uh, so I'm going to play this, but listen to the lyrics, and it's got a beautiful, uh, I guess it's the hook that I really, really connect to. Yeah. This is uh, Joey. Joey Badass. Devastated. Can you feel it? Yep. I used to feel so devastated. At times I thought we'd never make it. But now we on our way to greatness. greatness, greatness. And all that ever took was patience. I, I, I used to feel so devastated. Getting better each day, stacking that to the cheesecake. Look up to the Lord, we pray. Trying to be my best each day until I'm late, the rest of we late. Yeah, to the time being, we lit. Hoping I don't let it get all in my head. Now I don't need the money just to say that I'm rich. Couple little honeys when they get in my bed. But they used to run for me when I had nothing. Now they wanna fuck with the see me stunting. Nigga came up off the hustling, living in the lab of lux, and I'm feeling like the man. If you ain't on my chucks, then you wouldn't understand. On me, bodies rubber bands, on me, make it wanna dance for me. Probably leave a man for me, standing in the stands, goddamn. We know they're yeah, gonna pull yeah, us off uh, YouTube if we play too long. To that was dope, though. I like Joey Badass. Joey Badass right. with the two dollar signs. Yeah, it's it's that oh, hook, right? So that hook, that's the one that really connected with me because I used to feel so devastated. Now I'm on the way to greatness, and all it took was patience. Mm. So this was my connection to that man. Be patient, stay patient, and keep focused and doing what you're doing. Be patient, and it's gonna work out. And that's sort of connected to me in that way plus i think it's a fun song i like it man i think we should send off the podcast with a nice deep let's see here uh let's just light one up here okay just getting this going (laughs) (laughs) all right right. 
right, man. <laughs> that is the way to say goodbye. We should have fucking did that with Be Real, man. Now I'm kicking myself. Why the fuck did we smoke with Be Real? Yeah, that's true. He would have been. He would have been down. I would have gotten so high. I would have been like, B, I got, I got, I gotta go. I got. I got to sit in that. I got to sit in a hot box car with him. Should we get? Time. We don't know if. Well, I don't. Should what? Should we ruin the surprise? No, we shouldn't ruin the surprise of who we got coming up. But we got a pretty. Big no, 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 no. Yeah. Because because. I don't want to jinx it. Yeah, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to jinx it, dude. You see how it is. It's like spontaneous. All of a sudden, it's like, yeah, man. I'm into it. Yeah, you just don't know. So we will will have our fingers crossed. I still got to figure out what shirt I'm going to wear for that interview. That's that's terrifying. Do we have to wear a representative shirt? I don't think so. I think that would be kind of probably cheesy. But at the same time, it would be funny if we had one. But I looked and I couldn't find a shirt. So maybe Oh, I, I got you. Oh, you I got you. Okay. No, no, no. I, I can, like... Okay, we'll if, talk if about it me, offline. If you give me your address, <clears throat> I'll send you a present. Okay, all right. We'll have our shirts. We'll be like right. little kids. All right, brother. Thank you to Anna Simons and uh, Len May, and this has been a great show. Everything is personal. Peace. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Peace. It's the ones that smoke blunts with ya See your picture Now they wanna grab their guns and come and get ya Bet your biggie won't slip I got the calico with the black talons loaded in the clip Thanks for listening to today's show To check out more great cannabis podcasts Go to podconnects.com Here's a preview of one of our other shows Hi, my name's Kate And I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast I started the Pop Moms podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.